please. Uh, we're going to continue our lesson in the book of Genesis. Genesis Unleashed is what we're calling it uh, by considering the angelic connection. So I talked a lot about what is commonly referred to as the gap theory. Uh, the gap theory being that in the beginning God created the heaven and the earth, stop, and then the earth became or the earth was without form and void. We talked about the different theories. Again, you are not a heretic if you hold to the gap theory. In fact, it was probably, historically speaking, the primary view of uh, fundamentalism, oh, beginning back uh, in probably in the 1930s, 40s, somewhere in there, uh, popularized in the Schofield Reference Bible Notes. And I listed, I'll, I'll get to this after a while, but I think somewhere in the notes I've listed a number of the men that actually held to that theory. Good, good men. Now, um, the theory is never, listen carefully, to be used to justify any form of evolution. And really, it doesn't fit what the scripture says. There, there, you well, Pastor Mine, if God created the heaven and the earth and it was all perfect, what was on the earth? The answer to that, I don't know. Okay, but that is not a place to say, well, the fossil record must have come from that, and therefore we must have had some life forms on the earth, blah, 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 blah. Okay, that would all be really theory. Okay, if you, if you take that view, that's just all theory. Okay, that's all, you're kind of making it up. You know, Dr. Clearwaters, my pastor, he used to refer to that as thumbnail theology, what is thumbnail theology? Theology they sucked out of their thumb. That's what, that's what he always said. And uh, so you want to be careful about getting into something that too, uh, too deeply goes that route. And I'm not concerned. You said, well, where did the fossil record come from? Uh, you ever heard of the Noahic flood? You ever heard of that? Okay, that's a fine place to put the fossil record. And so, uh, but we, we talked about this, the, the creation of angels. Okay, and we're, when were angels created? And some people who uh, are, are very opposed to the concept of the gap theory for whatever reason, and I, I can't put this together in my mind. I've researched their side, by the way, in depth. Um, they will tell you that the angelic hosts, the heavenly hosts, were either created on the first day or the third day of the creation week. Well, if you say that, uh, you have a problem because you've just added to the Bible, okay? You've added something that, if, if that's your affirmation, you, you need to say, this is my theory, okay? Then you can say that, but to, to affirm that it had to be one of the six days of creation, I don't think is, it's not mentioned anywhere in scripture, but there is strong evidence, and we talked about this already, uh, from the book of Job, chapter 38, uh, that the angels witness the creation of this world. So. Uh, why is this important? It's important because it opens up to us a chronology of what took place in this world, frankly, down to where we are today. And it, it leaves a very complete chronology. So, but again, the gap theory, pro-gap, non-gap, is nothing you argue over, okay? You can debate friendly in a way, but don't decide you're gonna put a stake in your backyard and burn people at the stake for, uh, for affirming one position or the other, okay? That would be absolutely silly, and we don't want to do that because it would be uh, illegal too. We don't want that. But look, look at uh, um, lesson six, uh, pardon me, page six, the angelic connection. Angels were created by God prior to the creation of our universe and earth. 
Think of it as God having two families, the heavenly hosts, the angels, and human beings, both made in his image. The heavenly host was created first, man was created later. And I think I recommended uh, Dr. Michael Heiser's book, The Unseen Realm. I don't agree with everything in the book, but it's very well written. He was a Bible scholar, passed away about a year ago. Almost a year ago, he was a Bible scholar, often wrote for Dallas Theological Seminary, uh, Theological Journal. How many are familiar with Dallas? Dallas Seminary. Okay, you cannot be a slouch theologically or linguistically and write for that publication. So uh, he certainly had the academic credentials, though some people theologically would have considered him to be a bit of an outlier from the mainstream. By the time that I'm done with this series of lessons, I will be clearly an outlier from some of the mainstream. That doesn't bother me at all because I just want to know what God has to say. I'm not worried about what, uh, what my peers might have to say. Okay, number two, Satan had access to the initially created earth. Likely it was his special dwelling place. Now, I want you to notice the word likely. That means that that is possible or can be deduced from Ezekiel 28. Uh, that is not a firm thing where I'm going to say, well, absolutely this, 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 and this. Now, let me pause here for a moment. Some people become uncomfortable if I'm not dogmatic on every point. Listen carefully. When you are overly dogmatic on finer points that have room for discussion, because there isn't adequate detail given, particularly in the book of Genesis. When you're overly dogmatic about that, you close your mind to other possibilities. And that, frankly, is very dangerous. I, I want you to think with me for a moment. We are talking about God's word, Genesis, describing in a handful of verses something that happened thousands of years ago and was cosmic in its proportion. Does everyone follow me on this? The beauty of the Word of God is he gives us enough information. We can know what happened. We can understand origin issues, but we do not have all the details. You say, Pastor Monty, I, I wish we had all the details. It'll be fun. What do you think you're going to do in heaven? Okay, you're going to be there for all eternity. You say, Pastor, won't we know every detail the minute we get there? I kind of think not, maybe. I kind of think not. I don't know. But I, I do know this. Those are, who are there right now know more than we know. But we're doing our best from the Word of God. So uh, Arnold Fruchtebaum, a commentator that I'm recommending, said, The created earth of Genesis 1-1 became the abode of Satan, and he was the guardian over the earth in its original form. Okay, now pause there for a moment, okay? That would help answer the question as to why Satan even bothered with Adam and Eve. Have you ever wondered about that? Like, like honestly, okay, the, the, uh, the earth was, Adam was given dominion over the earth. Why was the devil ticked off about that? Why? Is it possible? Now listen to the words I'm using. Is it possible that at one time this was Satan's special abode, maybe the abode of the angelic host? And because, is it possible because of his rebellion and the world being taken away from him, that he wanted it back. Now, one thing is certainly true. God gave human beings dominion over this earth. When we worship another god, a false god, okay, and false gods <coughs> are false gods because they're not Jehovah God, but it does not mean that a spiritual entity behind a false god doesn't exist. 
because along with Satan, there were any number of angels that fell, and some of them being very high-ranking angels. So uh, sometimes, I've hinted at this before, that when people worship a pagan god, there may be something behind it. In fact, the apostle Paul said that we're not to have fellowship. This is uh, 1 Corinthians 10. We're not to have fellowship with demons, and he said that in the context of idolatry. So even people, by the way, of the ancient world, they didn't look at a stone or a statue or a stick, something they had carved. They didn't look at that and say, well, you know, that created everything, because they knew it was a rock or a stone or a stick. What were, they, what were they referring to when they were idolaters? They were referring to the spirit that they tried to cause to inhabit that piece of statuary, okay? That, that is what they were trying to do. And, um, and so they understood there was a background to this. There was a spiritual background. And often when a statue of that nature was dedicated, their religious ceremonies would seek to infuse that statue with a demonic spirit. Is that possible? Yes, completely possible and supported by both the Old and the New, Te New Testament. So uh, could it have been... And I think there is evidence for this that Satan had some level of residence on the earth, okay? I think that that is likely the case. Now, if you're not, you say, Pastor Monty, I reject the whole idea of the gap theory. Well, that's fine, um, but then you have to figure out some things. You have to figure out the creation of the angels, the fall of Satan. You have to figure out how quickly did he fall and then tempt Adam and Eve? And again, a timeline here would be difficult. You have to answer all of these questions. You have to figure out when were angels created. All of these things become issues that you are going to have to figure out or at least have a theory behind. And again, I'm not criticizing anyone who is a Bible literalist creationist, but I'm saying that it appears to me that that theory fits better when you're talking about the creation of angels and what happened prior. And why did we all of a sudden go through six days of creation? Adam names the animals. Okay, you realize that that had to happen pretty quickly, right? Does everyone get that? Okay, I don't think the animals sat around for a thousand years. And of course, Adam's lifespan is given us in scripture, so we know it couldn't have been that long. And then Adam, and, and Adam what happened when Adam you know, named the animals? He realized he didn't have help meet. So then Eve was created. How quickly after that did the fall occur? We don't know, but it wasn't millions of years. It could not have been because of Adam's age that is given to us in Scripture. So most uh, scholars who do not hold to the gap theory would say uh, that the fall happened very quickly after creation was completed. And so you, you've got the different viewpoints. For me, it is easier to understand the things that happened with the angels prior to the creation of the, the earth. And, I, and clearly, the angelic host, according to Job, the, angel, the sons of God and the morning stars sang together. Why? When they beheld the creation, okay? When they beheld the creation of the heavens and of heaven and the earth, they sang together. Look at point three now. Angel this is on the top of page seven. Angelic beings, including Satan, were created before the heaven and the earth. Job, the oldest book of the Bible, testifies that the sons of God, angels, much more about that later, shouted for joy as they beheld the original creation of the earth, Job 38, four through seven. It is important to note that the word angel is generic for created spiritual beings. Angels had ranks, some higher than others. Uh, by the way, in my Sunday morning message, I'm going to be dealing with Ephesians chapter six that really lines up what we are up against as people, okay? Uh, my enemy is never 
fundamentally another human being. There's something behind it, and awareness of that will help us with our strategy. So, um, biblical scholar Dr. Michael Heiser views most angelic visitations in Scripture as of the lower or messenger class of angels. He views other created beings as in the divine council. If you wonder what that is, you'll buy his book. I may get, it, I will get into it later as a higher, perhaps even different class for a discussion of the distinction. See his book, Supernatural, What the Bible Teaches About the Unseen World and Why It Matters. Interestingly, the Bible refers to Lucifer as the anointed cherub that covereth, okay? And Ezekiel 28, 14. Some see cherubs as a higher class of angelic being, while others view them as a separate class distinct from angels, and some would even say um, a heavenly creature. From the book of Revelation, we understand that they're heavenly creatures. Now, now listen, pause. I want to look this way. Pastor Monty, my whole life, I've just classed cherubs with angels and never gave it another thought, Okay. I understand, okay? But I want you to pause for a moment because much of our theology, especially dealing with the angelic realm, has been very imprecise because people don't talk a lot about it. And they don't study carefully and detailed in the scripture. And there have been some influences, okay? Milton, the author Milton, wrote a book called Paradise Lost, which is to this day considered one of the great English classics. That book um, had a strong general reference to angels and demons and things like that. It had a strong general reference. It was hugely influential. Also, the Catholic Church, hugely influential as to how people view uh, the angelic world. And there is a simplification that is helpful on a certain level, okay? It is oversimplifying if I say something like, it's true, it's true, but it's an oversimplification if I say something like this. The forces of good and evil are in constant conflict. How many know that's true? It's true. But it didn't give you any details. One of the things that troubles me about the modern evangelical world is they don't want to give you details. One of the, the words that is used today, one of the nomenclature, when people refer to anything satanic or demonic, and again, this is not wrong, but how many have ever heard of, they say, well, Pastor Monty, that's the dark side. Okay, I've used that terminology before, uh, and yes, it kind of speaks in a, a, a relevant way to this culture, but if you fail to define what you mean by the dark side, you just leave people wondering. It becomes very nebulous. If all I say is the dark side, then you don't understand that there is a personal, real Satan. You don't understand that there are beings that are demonic. Uh, it leaves out all of that. Well, Pastor Ryan, you know, we just, we'll just talk about the dark side because that way we won't have to get into this very much. And, and if we don't get into it very much, we won't look unscholarly or we won't offend modern culture. So I have a real problem with that because the Bible on its surface offends modern culture. The Bible on its surface offends science falsely so-called. And so I struggle with the idea that we have to gloss over parts of the Bible lest somebody think we're crazy or we're ridiculous. Can I let you in on a little secret? If you're a born again Christian, they already think you're crazy. Okay, so since they already think you're crazy, jump in with both feet. The water is fine. It's fun to be crazy a little bit. 
And so looking at this, looking at this, um, uh, the angel shouted for joy. By the way, that word sons of God, that's going to be key in an upcoming lesson. Okay. Um, okay. Look at point six, point six, page seven. What is clear is that God created heavenly beings, the heavenly host, prior to creating the earth. I, to me, that's very clear because they rejoiced at the creation of the earth. Okay, that's, that's pretty crystal clear to me. It wasn't the first day, it wasn't the third day, and again, the Bible never says that. What is also clear is that Satan staged a rebellion at some point, and a significant number of heavenly beings followed him in his fall. Okay, those things we can say are crystal clear. There's no question about that. Uh, Satan was not created evil. He was the top of the food chain of angelic beings. He was beautiful, he was attractive, uh, he was very uh, multi-talented. All of the knowledge and wisdom of the universe uh, was in him. He was, he, was the, he was the next best thing to God himself. Though a created being, he was the next best thing. You say, what was his problem? He wanted to take the place of God. That was his problem. <laughs> so look at the last one. Those holding the gap theory hold that Satan's fall resulted in the judgment and chaos identified in Genesis 1 verse 2, okay, having to do with, so Satan was a, you say, Pastor Monty, how many angels are there? I don't know. Is there ranking of angels? Yes, there is. Who is who? Well, there are certain angels that are a big deal. How many know Gabriel's a big deal? Gabriel's a big deal. How many know Michael, the arcane? Michael's a big deal, okay? Uh, any number of them. But isn't it interesting that we find in the book of Daniel that Michael, the archangel, was delayed in his divine mission by someone referred to as the Prince of Persia. The Prince of Persia? Who in the world is that? It had to be an angelic or divine being. It had to be. It had to be angelic. And was Pastor Monty, would the angels frustrate each other's work? Not the good ones, not the good ones. The bad ones will frustrate the work of the good ones. And I also find it instructive that in Daniel, these angels are identified, this in particular angel, is identified as the prince of Persia, an angel that had authority over a specific geographic region. Okay, that is huge. Uh, because remember the Perg Persian Empire? How many remember that little group of people? The Medo-Persian Empire? Okay, that, that was a world empire. And so you said, well, wait, Pastor, you're talking about geography. Yes, I am. And I feel that certain angels, and I don't know all the breakdown of this. Again, you can get into a lot of theory that's very interesting to listen to and to read. But the angelic hosts, the fallen ones, have somehow been assigned as patrons of a particular geographic region. Some would use the word country. Some people get into a lot more detail on this. Um, I think we can, say with, we can say with reasonable certainty that Michael is the archangel of Israel. And uh, I've listened to something very interesting, and I think there's truth to it, that when nations engage in warfare, uh, Hamas versus Israel, that you also have warfare between angelic beings. Oh, Pastor Monty, come on, this is just too much. No, the Bible says that there was warfare in heaven. Hard for people to imagine this. And do you know why that's hard for you to imagine? Because you take the view that heaven is a bunch of people floating around on clouds strumming harps. To be frank with you, not that I'm against harp music, perhaps it has its place, 
But if I had to spend all eternity listening to that, it would seem more like hell to me than it would, uh, than it would heaven, okay? Uh, I'm sure it has its place in an orchestra. But the, the point being that you have to shelve some of your mental pictures that came from, you know, second grade Sunday school. You have to shelve some of that and really get into the details of Scripture. So, uh, continuing on at point seven, page seven, well... Some argue that the gap theory was invented, I, I want to get through this, to placate modern geographical science, geological science, uniformitarianism, that postulates a very, uh, and, and which postulates an old age for the earth. Why, what's uniformitarianism? Uniformitarianism, which by the way, was scientific dogma until recent days, teaches that the processes that we see presently in our world that shape our world have always been the processes that have shaped the entire world. So for example, if we have a lot of rain, you have a place of, 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 of loose dirt in your yard, and you go out and you notice that that dirt has washed down, um, you say, yes, you know, it is uniformitarianism, which is, ba a lot of it's discredited science now. I'm talking about the scientific community. Uniformitarianism would say, yes, that's how it's always been, and that's how the Grand Canyon was formed, by that itty-bitty little creek that runs at the bottom of it. And they say, isn't that amazing? And I would say, no, isn't that unbelievable? The volume of water necessary to form the Grand Canyon was immense. And not just the Grand Canyon, folks, other places in the world. But uniformitarianism, which was dogma by a former generation of scientists, has kind of been abandoned. But they, the gap theory is not used to postulate an old age of the Earth for the sake of geological science. Of course, the motivation would be wrong. It would force a scientific theory upon the scripture, biblical gap theorists are not worried about the age of the rocks, and uniformitarianism has been replaced with catastrophe even among the secular scientists. Now, and I put this in, ever heard of the younger, drier, younger, uh, this was what I was trying to talk to you about this morning, Chris, the younger dryest theory. If you've never uh, heard about that, then you should look that up. Well, what, what is that? So, honest geologists looked at uniformitarianism and said, hmm, nah, there's just too much physical evidence that this is problematic. And so they came up with this era of time, this epoch of time, that they refer to as Younger Dryas, where, interestingly enough, the entire earth was covered with a massive flood of water. <laughs> Okay, interestingly enough, catastrophic changes during their younger driest period took place very, very rapidly. Now this is relatively new geological thought, but it has been added to uniformitarianism because that old thought simply doesn't work. Well, the way you chuckled a moment ago, you understand that we're referring, we will be referring to a universal flood. Scientists today don't want to talk about Noah and an archie, archie built an archie, archie Noah. No, they don't want to talk about that. And so what they will talk about, well, the younger dryest period was time, blah, 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 blah. And there was a huge asteroid maybe hit the earth and caused this uh, blah, 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 and climate change, blah, 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 blah. But the whole point of that theory, why, why would scientists now hold to that? The whole point is, when you look at the evidence, you have to admit that it took something catastrophic and quick 
to create what we can currently see in our world. So don't, don't, uh, don't doubt your Bible just because the latest uh, theory uh, doesn't seem to match with your scripture. Don't, don't doubt your Bible. Some argue the gap theory was developed to give space for the fossil record and even dinosaurs. Now, now pause there for a moment. No, no. Why? Because God created life, animal and human, during the six days of creation. Oh, but Pastor Mahdi, maybe there was a pre-Adamic race that inhabited the world uh, prior to its first destruction in water during the Genesis 1-1 period. Okay, I gotta see that in the Bible. I just don't. Now you can think all these things and it's kind of fun. I, I, I've, listen, listen to me. Your Bible should be kind of fun. So it's fun to read about this stuff and possibilities, but understand something. If scripture isn't really clear about it, then all that is is just thinking. Well, Pastor Monty, I just, I just want to know. There are gonna be a lot of things we won't know. Well, what about the dinosaurs? Yeah, pre-flood. I have no problem with that. Did dinosaurs live with man? Yes. The answer is yes, and by the way, adequate fossil evidence for that. We will, I think, Chris, I might have you get into some of that a little later. Um, however, anyone believing that that would have to go way beyond what the Bible says. There's no clear record of biological life being created and then destroyed with a new beginning on day one of creation. Any assumption that the fossil record and dinosaurs belong to the prehistoric pre-creation uh, weak world is a conjecture that is just not supported strongly in scripture. Okay, I want you to understand that. Uh, so there is this weird argument, and Chris, you're probably familiar with it, this weird argument between, uh, let's say, Answers in Genesis people and Gap Theory people. I don't understand why they're arguing. I don't, I've, I've looked, I've sought to understand, I can't figure out what they're arguing about. Because, Well, Pastor Monty, do you, do you believe in uh, the history of this world being about 6,000 years old? Yeah, I do. I do. The history, the history, meaning human habitation. Well, what happened before that? I don't, I, I don't know, but I have some ideas. Do you follow what I'm saying on that? Uh, it is not a denial of a six-day creation week. I'm going to get into, in an upcoming lesson, uh, various theories, because I don't have to change my creationist theory to fit modern scientific theory, and nor will I. I'm unwilling to do that, but that's for a future lesson. Okay, so... Uh, continuing on, point three, some opponents of the gap theory erroneously believe that it makes room for evolution. Uh, and I've run into this. And I don't even understand where in the world that could come from. It seems to be a confusion or a conflation with another theory that we're going to deal with coming up. This simply is not true. Evolution is not taught in the Bible, and biological life as we know it began during creation week as a direct act of God. Some perhaps confuse the gap theory with the day-age theory, the belief that creation days were not literal 24-hour days, but rather were huge epochs of time during which theistic evolution could take place, Bible believers reject those notions. Ah, oh, Pastor Monty, the Bible says, a day with the Lord is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is as a day. I want you to focus on me right now. That is one of the most helplessly and hopelessly misunderstood verses in the entire Bible. 
When you base an entire theory upon your interpretation of that verse, you are on very troubling ground. And I'm going to demonstrate to you categorically from the Bible that the, uh, the days of Genesis, the six days, were 24-hour days. We're going to demonstrate that. Okay, I wanted to mention this because at the very bottom, some of you might want to know this. There were some notable proponents, people who are in favor of the gap theory. The following Bible scholars, this, by the way, is not an exhaustive list. I put names that maybe I thought some of you would recognize, affirm the gap theory. Arthur W. Pink, a very old school commentator, very loyal to scripture, okay? He, his book on the Antichrist is probably the very best out there, okay? Arthur Pink held to it. Harry Rimmer, uh, he was an old-time preacher. C.I. Schofield, of course, of the Schofield Reference Bible. C.S. Lewis, I just threw his name in there. How many remember him? Yeah, yeah, Cl a Christian classic writer, C.S. Lewis. M.R. DeHaan, do you all remember Dr. DeHaan? How many remember the show, The, the Day of Discovery? And they had those singers, and they were down in that, that pretty garden down there in Florida. Yeah, M.R. DeHaan, and a very strong Bible scholar. Uh, we still use some of his materials today. Donald Gray Barnhouse, who was a Presbyterian scholar. By the way, he is the, he is the preacher under whom D. James Kennedy, which is familiar to many of you, D. James Kennedy came to Christ under that man's preaching. And then I mentioned uh, Francis Schaeffer. And I put there the word Boyce. What is that? That is Boyce's commentary on Genesis. I've given you the source for my list, okay? The reason I do that is because someone will say, Pastor Wani, prove it, and then I can give you the source later. You probably don't have Boyce's commentary. It's okay, but it's not one that I would highly recommend. Now, let me answer this. Before I move past this, does anyone have a question? Because I really, I don't have time to move much past it, so somebody needs a question. Yes, go ahead, James. Speak loudly for me, please. Could I do what? Yeah, so it, in the notes, okay, if you look in the notes, Arnold Fruchtenbaum, his commentary on Genesis, I think I've talked about him. I'm, I'm not against Boyce's commentary. I'm just not highly recommending it for this series. It's a fine commentary if you want to add that to it. And then Dr. Michael Heiser, a little cautionary with Heiser. Sometimes he goes, you know, into some areas that are more theoretical, by the way, but he, he's very faithful in... Uh, explaining that. He's very faithful in explaining what his theories are and what they, what they lean upon. So some of those are the authors that I've mentioned. I'm not going to throw at you an author that is off the rails, okay? I promise you that. I'm not going to do that. All right, someone else with a question. Good question. Yes, ma'am. Oh, the big question, did God create sin? The simple answer is no. Simple answer is no. What God did was both us as human beings and created angels have a free will. That free will can choose. Now with Satan, uh, pride was a factor that originated with Satan. And then by his free will, he chose to disobey God, just as we do. Um, really important to understand here that our free will is the element of human life that makes us the most like God. 
It is also the most dangerous element of what we are as human beings because we can choose for or against God. The, the opposing theology, which would be an extreme form of Calvinism, that would be fatalism. That theology says, well, everything was planned from the, before the foundation and your ability to choose is only a mirage. I completely disagree with that. And by the way, Heiser in his book, The Unseen Realm, I think it's that book, uh, gives a great breakdown of the difference between uh, free will and determinism. And we do not hold to determinism here. Very good question. All right. I need to dismiss you because we've got to get to choir practice and, and all that other good stuff. You join us in the auditorium and we will begin.